Hi, it's Michael Waits. Welcome to the New Media Asia podcast. This is our first episode. I'm here with Dan McFarlane and Ong Dura. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, Michael. And really happy to have Ong on so the I. show. Yeah, so Ong, you're from Myanmar. Myanmar is one of the most dynamic, fast-changing new media environments in Asia. So it's really great to have you on. Let's explore this new environment. So I've been trying for a long time to get somebody from Myanmar on the podcast network. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for doing this. Right. I'm glad to be here. And, you know, I think it's the first meeting between us, but I'm really excited about this. Thank you. Do you want to give a little bit more background about yourself as well? Yes. Basically, uh, I have a marketing consultancy. Uh, if it's about marketing, I do, I do it. Uh, but mostly people know me for Ignite, which is uh, my uh, ad agency, uh, which uh, we provide services for uh, MBT, the local uh, leading uh, telco operator. Got it. Uh, we also have other very fun uh, birth control and sex ed, social media page management, etc. We also do stuff for tourism uh, clients. So that's on my ad agency side. On the research, I do a whole bunch of other stuff as well. But uh, I think the more uh, interesting ones would be on the what we do for consumer insight. How big, how big is your research team? Uh, about 60 people. Wow. Okay, that's not small. No. It's, that's a really yeah. large team. And they're all in Yangon? Uh, no, we're in about 12 locations. In Myanmar, all in 12 Myanmar. locations in Myanmar. Yes. That's awesome. I think there are a lot of things that people are going to learn today about Myanmar that they didn't know before. Well, I hope I can help. I with hope that. so. Yeah. So you also went to school in Hawaii, right? Yes, I did in Honolulu for about five years. How did you get there? Like, how does somebody from Yangon end up in Hawaii? I guess the key thing was, you know, uh, somehow I, I had a choice—not a choice—but I wanted to go to two places: uh, Alaska, Anchorage, as a marine biologist. Okay. And the other choice was. Uh, studying travel and tourism in Honolulu. Got it. And, you know, I think I made the, uh, you know, decided that, no, I don't want to be frozen in, you know, Anchorage. So I decided Honolulu. It's just so interesting to me because Alaska is like all the way up here and Hawaii is all the way down here. They're like, for lack of a better term, polar opposites. Right. (laughs) Sounds a bit goofy, but it is what it is. No, I think that's why I wanted to be there because I wanted a place that's, places that are different yeah. from my home com- country and Sounds I wanted like to you know meet and you know, have new experiences but you've also had a pretty international background right and upbringing so you yes. haven't lived your entire life in Myanmar right no more than half my life was outside oh wow so where else did you live you lived in Hawaii you lived in Myanmar where else uh, I-, I was in Yugoslavia when it was still Yugoslavia wow. back there but I was really young there uh, I was in India when Indira Gandhi was uh, the Prime Minister. Wow. Um, I was in Thailand uh, for about five to seven years. So it's my this is my second home, mm-hmm. so to speak. Fair enough. Uh, and uh, I was in Vietnam, I was in Laos, and of course Myanmar. So yeah, I moved around wow, quite a bit. Places. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. That's really so you've cool. been doing something really interesting recently. You mentioned before the podcast you've, you've been involved in a, a conference around digital media in... Yes. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Um, every other year, I try to do a uh, marketing-related conference. Mm-hmm. And this year, I thought because of the many changes and you know uh, the 
the new telcos coming into the market. It changed a lot of stuff. And I thought, you know, do a mobile and digital marketing forum. So uh, it is uh, two things. One is, of course, to bring in speakers that we won't have access to on a normal basis mm -hmm. for the marketing community. As well as uh, the second thing was also it's a private opportunity for me to learn because normally I would have to attend events in Singapore or Thailand to go out and you know do these things. But I thought, okay, no, I don't want to go. I will bring them in and uh, do that in Myanmar. So yeah, I did that about two months ago. Right, right. So what kind of organizations and people joined the, the conference? Well, uh, typically it would be uh, marketing and digital people. Mm, yeah. So uh, you basically uh, people who manage social media, people who manage uh, uh, online advertising mm -hmm. for various uh, clients would mm -hmm. attend. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that was the target I had in mind, meaning the target audience I had in mind when I uh, organized this. And uh, I knew that there was quite a bit of need for people who want to hear people speak, right. uh, people from, you know, uh, speak from various companies. So who yeah. were the big companies yeah. that were there? Were there any famous sort of Western companies over there? Um, more than Western, I think it was more on the uh, Samsungs, uh, the Oridus. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, they were there. And again, yeah. it's, you know, came out of my network because right. my friends, you know, I think they wanted to support <laughs> me also. Nice. So they say, okay, Ong's doing this, you know, let's go. Type of thing. A lot so, of local business. Let's, yeah. let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's talk about how the media landscape in Myanmar has changed over the past sort of five to ten years. What are the things that you're seeing? And can you talk specifically about the technology, what I call technology leapfrogging, right? How there is no 2G or 1G, just straight to 4G or 5G maybe. Right. And what the impact of that is. Yeah. So there's a big event in Myanmar what, five years ago. What okay. happened there? 2013, the market was regulated. Can you put that in context a little bit? Like, what was the environment before? What was the environment afterwards? Okay. Um, I, again, I think uh, there are uh, two significant parts yeah. about that. Uh, before the telecom, uh, you know, got, uh, what's the word? Liberalized. For, liberalized. Yeah. Uh, the government managed all the telecoms in Myanmar, including the landlines and the mobile phones. Okay. So, uh, put it into context in terms of price. If I wanted a mobile SIM card, although it wasn't the SIM card age yet, it was those brick phones and things mm -hmm. like that. It was, uh, I had to pay about two to three thousand dollars US dollars, US dollars mm -hmm. for the privilege of being able to use a mobile communication device. Right. Now, uh, not only it, it was more for the uh, licensing issue, and even if I had the money, uh, I needed connections to get that mobile phone. Got it. So, before that, you know, that's how it was. Uh, we had less than a million uh, mobile users, but between the you know, periods about 2013 to 2015, the numbers kind of went up to about uh, about a million. Uh, the prices dropped uh, to about $500, and then it finally dropped down to uh, you know hundred dollars, hundred or $200 uh, you know, mm -hmm. range. Yeah. And then um, Oridu was the first uh, international uh, to launch in Myanmar. Right. So by the time they launched, it was like uh, what a dollar, dollar fifty to get a SIM card. Okay. And now, Orudu is from where? Uh, basically, it's uh, the Middle East. Right. Uh, Qatari company? Qatari right? company. Right. And it's also, when they launched, they focused, there was a pure 4G network, a 3G network. So they, it didn't sort of support 2G phones, I understand. Uh, no, actually, they did. Uh, okay. basic, the SIM cards basically were able, uh, I was able to make 2G calls or use okay. uh, traditional handsets. Yep. Um, at first, though, most of them came in with 3G. 
okay. and enabled. And you know, there were all kinds of infrastructure problems in terms of connection mm-hmm. speeds and things like that. Uh, and then uh, within a month or so, Telenor launched, right. and then uh, MBT, uh, which is the incumbent. Uh, it's a joint venture between uh, Nima Post and Telecoms mm-hmm. and Jap- the Japanese uh, KDDI Sumitomo. KDDI, okay. So they came in and then they launched. Uh, the and I think to a, you know a big extent, uh, MBT still had uh, or not still had but ha- had the majority of the towers at the time. So they had the they they had a locked in audience, as opposed to Oredu, which had to start from scratch. Delanor, to some right. extent, also they had to start from scratch. I mean, building towers. Right. So uh, that that was the you know uh, thing that we went through. So within a from let's say 2015 to today, uh, in Myanmar, uh, depending which research you uh, look at, mm. but right now. Uh, the last figures I looked at was we have uh, 54 million SIM cards in the market. Right, and the population is... 52 million. 52 million. <laughs> like so this. the number is sometimes, you know, and everyone's going like, yeah, why is that? But, you know, if you live in Myanmar, you know for a fact that most people have Multiple two or three cards, right. SIM cards. I do have two. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, just in case one doesn't work type of thing and some people for other reasons have need to have two or three sim cards yeah. and are, are you familiar with who, who is the market leader at the moment uh mpt mpt right but the uh and market leader at about if i'm not wrong because uh, numbers i know are about o- over six months old are about 22 23 million mm-hmm. delinois is about uh, 20 million approximately mm-hmm. and oradu is about nine or ten million right and there's also a newcomer Could yes you, who is that uh, Mitel, uh, out of Vietnam, but uh, it's a joint venture with the military in Myanmar. Mm-hmm. And uh, they claim to have about, I think, two to three million subscribers. Right. Uh, when did they launch? Are you, are you... Six months ago. Right. So uh, okay. it was a big launch. So that's uh, a joint venture month. between the military in Myanmar and... The Vietnamese military. <laughs> the Vietnamese military, which is their telecom company, or the telecom arm is called right. Viettel. Viettel, right? and that's right. Um, they've been operating in, been very successful in Viet- Vietnam yes. um, and in Cambodia, Laos, and they've now gone global. They went to Haiti, Mozambique, I think they're in Peru, many emerging markets. They've been very successful because they have a particular business model. Are, okay. are you getting a picture of their business model and how it's taking form in Myanmar? Um, not as much as, you know... Uh, I think the thing you see as a consumer yeah. is that they are aggressive, aggressive in a sense that they are in your face. You cannot miss what they do. And uh, from the donor nature uh, of the advertising, TV advertising, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you cannot miss it. Uh, really? they, they have this, you know, orange color. So one is uh, the incumbents, one's blue and yellow, the other one's blue, the other one's red, and they're orange. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, from a visual point of view, mm-hmm. the MyTel stands out. Mm-hmm. The advertising uh, also stands out in the clutter. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily saying it's a great ad, but it yeah. does stand out. People get noticed, uh, people notice it. Uh, and you know, in terms of pricing, they are much more aggressive than the other guys. Right. Uh, they are providing services—not services, but you know, uh, things that others are not. For example, uh, example uh, Nima, we are football crazy, football crazy. And when I say football, it's uh, EPL, EPL, English Premier League, right? right. And uh, the, basically, if I'm a Mytel subscriber, I can watch uh, EPL games live for free. 
So, uh, you know, of course, I'd be paying the data fees, but relatively they are priced a bit lower mm -hmm. than the other guys. So I can watch my favorite games if I'm a, you know, MyTel subscriber right. rather than watch it on a cable network yeah. back home. One of the things I observed in Cambodia, Laos, also Vietnam, is uh, Vietnam is rural first. They go in, they have a develop very extensive coverage in rural areas and don't focus too much on the city in terms of their marketing. Are you seeing the same thing in Myanmar? Well, I think the incumbents, the you know, 20 and 22 million uh, incumbents already ha are already in the rural areas. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, because they, they've had a head, head start, so right. to speak. Uh, Mytel has always talked about, you know, being available to everyone in the country and, you know, starting with the rural. So uh, I, I think they are there. But uh, I think the key thing for them is uh, getting those towers up. And running, mm -hmm. so maybe right now they are at a disadvantage, maybe because they don't have as many towers mm -hmm. as other guys. Uh, someone did a count on the towers, but I forgot that number. So uh, let's say you know two, three years from now, and if you ask me that question, mm -hmm. most likely they would be everywhere. Okay. And with the support of the Myanmar military, uh, I think they can get in almost where they want to go. Right, interesting. So, interesting. These military alliances around the region in commerce. And technology. Yes. Yeah. So can I, I want to ask you this as well. So what other things have changed in people's day-to-day -day lives as now there are 54 million? So I think most people in the West wouldn't understand more than 100% penetration for mobile phones. Most of these are smartphones. Yeah, I think one interesting statistics also is that, uh, and you know, uh, by the way, we do uh, retail audit for uh, consumer electronics in Myanmar with uh, GFK, uh, the German uh, research firm. We do the field work for them. They do the anal uh, analysis, analysis, but we see the data anyway. Right. So what we do find, and it's a common data point, nothing uh, secret about it, is that 80% of the mo mobile phones are smartphones in Myanmar. Okay. So meaning that you know uh, they are, I can hard. get online. Yeah, I can you know uh, run apps. Maybe uh, of course the, those are Google you know devices, you know Android devices. So uh, and uh, one thing that has kind of made it possible also is you know brands like. Huawei, they've got smartphones for about hundred, hundred and twenty dollars, right. and you know I can run run an Android, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, uh, operating system on it, so I can get online, I can get on Facebook, I can do Instagram, or YouTube or whatever on it, as long as I'm willing to pay the data. Right. Yeah. So what's the, in your observation, what's the regular internet experience for a regular everyday Myanmar person? Is it mainly Facebook, or are they exploring a lot of other apps? Um, in the past, you know, they, they, they used to have talk about, you know, the killer app. Mm -hmm. And in Myanmar, uh, because, okay, to, okay, i got to backtrack a bit and say that because we started off with one or two million mobile phone subscribers mm -hmm. before this, everything mm -hmm. happened, is that majority of the mobile users in Myanmar are first-time mobile users. Mm -hmm. They are first-time smartphone users, if they are using smartphones, and first-time internet users. Internet users. This is the key for me, but go ahead. Right. So what happens is, <clears throat> uh, for them, it's about the apps. The apps that allow them access to the internet through various things. So some people even think that uh, Facebook is the internet. Is the internet. Yeah, right. And so a short <laughs> question, uh, answer to you, Dan, is uh, basically uh, Facebook is a key, uh, the main app. I, I have no idea how many hours people spend on it, but it's quite a lot. Uh, the second app 
would be the uh, the messaging app right. or so the video messaging who, app. Which app is leading the messaging space? Uh, as far as we can see, it's Fiber. Yeah. Uh, we learned that it was about 46 wow. million subscribers okay. there. So yeah, that must make it a massive market for Viber. Yeah. Yes, I guess it does. But this is really interesting. So Viber has its biggest penetration in Myanmar on the messaging. You said video as well. So when people make video calls to each other, they're not using a Google product. They're not using an Android product. They're using Viber. They're not using Line. No, they're not using yeah. Facebook Messenger. They're communicating over Viber. Yes. How did that happen? No, I think it's one of those things that just happened where somehow it got critical mass mm -hmm. about two, three years ago right. when smartphones became available. Mm -hmm. So someone was using, or my friend was using it, and I'm have to, I'm forced to use Viber sure. if I want to connect with my friends. Because now on my phone, I've got, for, with my Thai friends or colleagues, I've got Line Why? for Singapore, WhatsApp, right. uh, and of course Viber from your mind, Messenger for everyone else. Although I think people are switching to Messenger yeah. quite a bit because it's just convenient. I'm on Facebook, my friends are on Facebook, Facebook. and I do some. I do quite a bit of business, so to speak. Uh, you know, I'm mean, using uh, Messenger as well. On Facebook, back with the telcos, is it possible in Myanmar to get free Facebook access if you've got your um, in an, um, a mobile subscriber? Um, at, no, I, uh, at this point, no, but uh, MPD used to do, uh, had a, I forgot that there's a specific Facebook product right. that doesn't load the images. It's more okay. of a you know status update mm -hmm. post, which but uh, they discontinued that about a year back. But there was also a Facebook product run out of the United States, but for the developing world, yeah. for lack of a better term, that was meant to give free internet access to anybody that signed up for Facebook in countries yes. like the Philippines or Myanmar or oh, even okay. parts of Africa as well. And I think that's they have what a Dan policy was asking for particular about. countries. I'm not sure. I'm not sure which countries it was either, but clearly it's not. No, it's not Myanmar because I think the regulatory environment is such that you would need a they, Facebook would need a license, and that's not mm. easy to get. Fair enough, mm -hmm. fair enough. So, how about other mobile services that are starting to take off, like mobile money or e-commerce? How is that developing? I think uh, most of the telcos have their own version of mobile money. Uh, the other, the, of course, the banks have their own mobile, uh, you know, apps or uh, ways. Uh, not doesn't necessarily have to be an app, also. So uh, it's there, but uh, I think that, as opposed to the uh, adoption of the mobile SIM card, the mobile money is a bit slower. Uh, and one of the biggest issues I think is uh, there are so many players. Uh, there are quite strong local players enough that it's kind of fragmented. So uh, it didn't enjoy the you know type of benefit that Fiber got at the beginning, where you know quite enough uh, you know quite a few people signed up and they gained a critical mass and right. kind of uh, grew. Uh, most of the mobile you know uh, operators do have it, but the thing is, I'm kind of stuck in my own uh, telco. You are stuck in your own telco, and I cannot transfer money to you. They are banks that do for both but it's still okay, not so the telcos yeah. themselves are operating mobile money services is that yes right? okay so they're probably dominating that space would you say i won't say dominating oh. but uh it's one of the i guess available means that we can use to pay but it's not yeah. uh, i mean uh, let's say you know uh, I, i'm using a uh, mobile money but not all the shops will accept it mm -hmm. so only in some cases you know i can transfer using mobile money so it's just that uh, we, no one has the numbers. We just don't know how many. But it's not well connected, and not enough people are using it. So, 
So one of the trends that I've seen in investing in not just startup companies, but in sort of digital transformation across the board is that with the large amount of investment that's taken place in China over the past 10 years, a lot of the big Chinese companies like Alibaba and Tencent and Meituan and even Didi are starting to look outside of China. Mm -hmm. And the example of this started a few years ago in Thailand, they bought Lazada. And you've seen that as well with Alipay expanding outside of China because they see more um, growth potential in Thailand than they did maybe in sort of big cities in China. Are you seeing the same impact from big Chinese internet companies in Myanmar as well, or has that not started to happen yet? Uh, not as much, I think. But that said, uh, Alibaba bought out one of uh, shop.com.mm, which is okay. the biggest, I guess, uh, biggest e-commerce, uh, e-commerce uh, portal, uh, the Amazon equivalent. And they are quite, again, aggressive about it. Uh, and I, I know, and I heard that you know the other Chinese uh, providers are there. It's just that I think they haven't quite figured out. Uh, Alipay is known, but uh, I don't think uh, it's it's not there officially, or they haven't launched in that sense. Got it. I want to talk a little bit more about media specifically. We can talk about marketing and advertising as well, but I want to talk about how language impacts the type of media that people are exposed to. Right. So there's a native language, Myanmar. Yes. Right. But a lot of the internet is starting to move a lot into Chinese, but most of the internet's in English. Right. How does that impact? So are there local, other local languages that are more sort of ethnic-based, right? Dialects, yes. like there are across the world. And how does that impact the type of media that people see? Okay, I think I'll start with the yeah, ethnic dialects. Yeah, yeah. Um, officially, and, you know, uh, officially, I guess I would say that uh, there are 135 different ethnic groups with their own languages, own beliefs, although they tend to fall into Christians or Buddhists or uh, uh, Muslims uh, in, in that sense. So uh, 135 languages are spoken uh, and they are recognized. Now, the thing is, if I go to some parts of the country, I speak Myanmar, the, our official language, yeah. but I do need uh, translators to talk to those people because I, I at one point I was working with an NGO mm-hmm. uh, doing Malaysia and uh, sorry malaria and HIV and all those stuff and we had to talk to those villages and uh, more than one occasion we had to have uh, translators for us because they don't speak Burmese or Myanmar for that so um, yeah so the different uh, ethnic languages uh, the problem for them is uh, not problem but you know access of information for them is twofold one is that that if you look at the map of Myanmar, uh, we are surrounded by mountains, meaning border of India and Myanmar mountains, yep. uh, China mountains, uh, also with uh, Thailand, Thailand. Uh, mountains. Right. So and um, then sea on the other side. Yes. Right. So what happens is uh, in the mountains, uh, difficult to receive radio signals. Got it. Microwave stations are very expensive to maintain. Mm-hmm. Uh, telcos don't want to go there because maybe I won't say they don't want to go there, but it's very expensive for Which them. Just concentrations low, right? So yes, the usage expensive. will be low. The usage will be low. So um, they don't go there. So one is automatically uh, they are excluded from the internet. Uh, the second part, of course, is the language uh, of the internet is English. Basically. Uh, so uh, again, not everyone speaks it and have difficulty. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think there, there are some barriers for us getting online. What do you see at the moment of the composition of content across you know, the Myanmar internet and social media space? Is it concentrated in English or what's the distribution do you see? I think uh, by pure nature of what we can read, uh, what mm-hmm. we can read and understand, uh, it's, uh, 
the sites, the pages that we would visit are in Myanmar language. Mm-hmm. But uh, that is kind of ch- uh, that that doesn't apply for things like YouTube mm-hmm. video. Video is maybe I don't understand what's being said, but I can see and I can hear right. what's going on. So yeah. uh, YouTube's kind of yeah. taking off. Uh, I was talking to Google uh, previously. Uh, for the conference, as well as uh, we, I'm trying to uh, do some projects with them as well. And one of the biggest, uh, two big things about Myanmar also is that from the Google point of view, uh, there aren't enough Myanmar websites. Myanmar websites mm-hmm. meaning websites in Myanmar language right. for them to have a you know a hadron network, etc. Uh, the second part. That's really so. We, can I just yeah, be please. clear about this? So what you're saying is that. Using the Myanmar language, there just isn't enough information or data out there for Google to run an AdSense business around people that are running websites in Myanmar. Yes, basically. Not That's enough true. content in, not Myanmar content language. in Myanmar language. And, I mean, this is getting a bit technical, but okay. co- compounding things a bit is uh, Google is in uh, the font system in Google is Unicode. In Myanmar, we've got our own homegrown uh, font system called Zorji, which... 80% of the websites use. What are the, what are the characters that are used? Uh, it's a Myanmar uh, alphabet. Right. But uh, it's basically a font system. So if I was uh, pressing, let's say, A on the keyboard, mm-hmm. on the Unicode, uh, something might come out. And uh, on Zorji, something else might may come so that's out. That's a major impediment. So Google doesn't want to start, I guess, passing or you know, uh, uh, spidering or whatever the... Uh, Zorji language because basically they, they don't recognize it. But for majority of the people, uh, I don't know how to type in Unicode. I know how to type in Zorji. So well, why did that evolve like that? And why didn't uh, sort of this development of a Unicode-based uh, s- system of writing right. grow? I think the biggest issue is uh, Myanmar was locked out, or rather the, the world locked out Myanmar mm-hmm. uh, few years back so there's a lot of homegrown stuff that happened is happening so you know we had computers you know as other uh, southeast asian countries but then we needed a Myanmar font system on it so uh, again i know the guy who did this uh, soji code uh, he very smart guy and he basically did it on his free time uh, to uh, access uh, uh, for Myanmar to be able to type in Myanmar. So, again, just to be yeah, clear, so yeah. during a time where you say that Myanmar was isolated from the rest of the world from a technological standpoint, somebody inside of Myanmar said basically, okay, I'm going to do this on my own. Right. I'm going to create, using existing technology, my own font system. Yeah. Is it dual bit? Is it two bit? You know, like the same way that Japanese characters and Chinese characters. Need more space in the font system to be able to do it, or is it different? And is it Sanskrit character? Like, what do the characters resemble? I think uh, if you're familiar with the Thai alphabet and how it works with the uh, the accents, yep, tones. right? Uh, tones. Uh, it, we are similar, so similar. We, we would have our ABCs, but we would have our accents. We would have our tones on it, which change the sound and sure. the meaning of it. And the meaning of it, absolutely. So um, now the thing is, you know, uh, in a way, it's. All arbitrary. The guy just decided to use a certain combination of fonts to make up certain. I mean, you words. can argue that all of language and all of writing is arbitrary at some level, but he yeah. did it for a reason. But part, but the, yeah. the consequence is that it doesn't fit into the Unicode system that Google uses for the rest of its structure globally. Yes, and uh, it creates all kinds of problems for off because if I send an email, let's say, you know, send me an email in Burmese, then uh, there's a chance that I might I may get a Unicode message. Uh, email and Unicode. So it looked jumbled when you get it. It looks back jumbled. To uh, yeah, basically, you know, I wouldn't be able to read or understand. Sure, we saw this a lot is. when you'd send a me email in Japan, Japanese, and then send it to the United States, you'd get it and be like, 
Right. This makes no sense. But that's between English and Japanese. This is between Myanmar and Myanmar. I understand. So, uh, you know, it creates all kinds of... uh, I mean, so, you know, basically people who learn to type in Myanmar have to learn to type in both different keyboards, keyboard system. Now, the very interesting... I I just wanted to add this. The guy who developed the Zorji code is... uh, He's one of the... uh, He is a chief technical officer for uh, Mandalay City. Mandalay City was just nominated as the uh, smart city of uh, one of the smart cities of ASEAN. So there were ten cities uh, in ASEAN, and Mandalay was a city. And Mandalay is not was our old capital. So Yangon is currently our uh, well commercial capital, right. but Mandalay, uh, you know, got ahead of uh, Yangon on that. So very smart individual. Uh, he uh, he's doing a lot of other stuff, but as because of the critical mass also gained by Zorji users, uh, you know, it's it's an ongoing thing. And sometimes the fight between the Zorji and Unicode users and proponents get, you know, quite heated in Very Myanmar. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, and this is one of those cultural things. Is, first of all, it's never going to go away, right? But this is one of the other things about Myanmar, but even about countries outside of sort of, you know, the G7 that people don't understand. Right. They don't understand. This is, I think, the point that Dan was trying to make earlier is that you can have a mobile phone but you still may not have access to all of the world's information, even if it's not being blocked by a firewall, because yes. of little nuances like this that people don't generally understand. Wait a second, the font system that I'm using is different, which means that if I get a Unicode font onto my system, I may not be able to read it, even if I can speak English. Yes. That's really important, actually, right? Because right. access to information is key. Yes. The, the, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you earlier was, because English is the language of the Internet, is there a burgeoning sort of edtech market in Myanmar? A lot of the things we see in Thailand, but also in the rest of the world, when they start edtech, one of the main things that they teach is English. Yes. Are you seeing that as well? I think the aspiration of most uh, Myanmar students and parents is that you know uh, ability to speak and write English. So it's something that we want to do. Uh, so I think it's there already. Uh, the I guess the biggest challenge is uh, for them to be able to, you know, get to uh, access classes that teach in English. Because uh, technically, our education system is in English. I mean, we teach history in English. We teach a lot of subjects in English. However, uh, it's you know because not uh, we are not native speakers. Right. And that creates a lot of problems for the teachers as well as the students because students are struggling not only with the subject matter. But with the language, language itself. But there's well. also a generation gap as well, I'm presuming. And this is kind of way off topic. Yeah. But I might have to, have to believe that if you're a 12-year-old student learning about history in school, in English, when you go home and ask your mom and dad, who are in their 30s or 40s, and you say, hey, mom, take a look at the textbook that I have. Your mother might be, I don't get it because I don't speak English necessarily. Just generation, generation, that gap yeah. is there, right? Yes, generation gap. And now there's a movement uh, for... Uh, Students who learn uh, subject matter in in Myanmar language, right? So, it flips so it's kind of yeah, it's kind of seesaws. You know, at one point, okay, everyone's got to learn English, and every subject will be in English. Now, students are not learning the subject matter because of the language issue. Right. So therefore, let's teach everything in Myanmar. So uh, it's, I think it's going to go back and forth. Just really interesting stuff. Um, yes, anything else you want to say? No, I think we have to do this um, again, again, and okay. we, uh, definitely more on Myanmar and what you're doing uh, in Yangon and for your clients 
it'd be really interesting to continue this, this yes, discussion. Really fascinating stuff. Ong, thank you so much for doing this. Right. And no, thank you for having me. I'm really, I was, it's my fir- first podcast, so I'm really excited about Excellent. this. Excellent. Hopefully it's not your last. <laughs> no, I don't think it'll be. <laughs> thank you. Great. Right, thanks. Thank you very much.